Father, we do just uh, continue to bow our hearts before you and and uh, ask for you to soften them and uh, make them pliable uh, to receive your word, that we might uh, have changed hearts that um, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son. And Lord, I pray for anyone today who doesn't know you, that uh, you would uh, till up the, the hard ground to the heart and prepare it for receiving the truth of the good news of your Son, Jesus. And I pray that you just bless now your word as it goes out in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, the Lord Jesus did declare in this life that we would have, to believers, we would have trouble. And certainly we all realize that this life is difficult at times. <clears throat> and we can find ourselves discouraged or even despairing. You know, if you stand for what's right and you like justice and righteousness and you see all the wickedness going on, it can be quite discouraging. It can be discouraging. We could be tempted to despair. The reality is there are many things that can cause us to be discouraged, um, whether it's uh, a passing away of someone close. That's very discouraging, even though they know the Lord. We know they're with the Lord. Um, physical ailment, ailment or loss of a job or the financial worries of life, overwhelming demands of just this life in general can cause us, if our minds and focus stray, to be discouraged. The reality is, along with uh, the things that anyone might experience for believers, there's an added element that can cause us to be discouraged. You see, sometimes uh, we are persecuted by those who don't know Christ. The reality is uh, the world doesn't know Christ. And Jesus said, the world will hate you because they hated me. And a slave is not greater than his master. And so that can happen also and does happen. And I think we're, we're moving and turning the corner towards some time where that's probably going to be more uh, real uh, to many. Uh, it's certainly real to, to me, as you know, some of the prayer requests I've shared uh, with you. But how are we to respond to opposition? How do we respond to it, and how should we rep- pray for those who we know are being opposed, uh, those who are believers who are trusting in the Lord? How should we respond? Well, again, the, we wanted, I want, kept preparing to get back to Second Thessalonians, but the Lord kept redirecting my heart, so we're going to take a look at Psalm 86 today. Would you turn with me to Psalm 86? And as you're turning there, I want to give you some of the context for Psalm 86. Um, it uh, is obviously called a psalm, and the, the Greek word for psalms uh, originally came from the, uh, the Hebrew word, obviously, which means to pluck a string, to, uh, to, to, to do music. And so eventually the term came on to take the meaning of a song uh, in the musical context in singing. And here we have um, Israel's inspired by the Spirit hymns set to music. That's what the psalms are. Now, the Psalms, we have 150 Psalms in five uh, different books within the Psalms, and then you have each individual book within there, each individual Psalm. Now, with that in mind, uh, we see that this is the only Psalm in book three of the Psalms which is written by David. You see the superscription there, it says, A Psalm of David. David, inspired by the Spirit of God, David uh, wrote this Psalm. 
And what do we know about David? Well, he was the second king of Israel after Saul. He was a believer, and yet, as we'll see and have, and you may know, he was a sinner just like you and I. The Apostle Paul, when he was preaching in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, says this in Acts 13. He says, verse 22, And after he had removed him, speaking of Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Isn't that great? I hope you're that way. I hope your heart says, I'll do whatever you want, Lord. I'll do whatever you want. He says, I found Jesse, uh, found David. He says, uh, son of Jesse, a man after my heart will do all my will. From the offspring of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus. Came through David's line. So David was a true believer. He was one from the heart who was willing to do God's will. As we heard earlier in, uh, in, uh, in um, Jeremiah, the Lord examines the hearts, and David is one who is willing to do his will. Now with that in mind, David knew the Lord, and he wanted to do his will, yet we, the scripture does not hide the reality that David sinned greatly. It doesn't uh, hide the reality of the consequences of David's sin. Scripture reveals David committed adultery with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up, uh, causing her husband to be killed in battle, Uriah killed in battle. Thus he was culpable for his death. And having fallen into great sin, here's where we see where the difference between a believer who falls and a non-believer who continually falls. When David was exposed, when his sin was exposed, he responded the right way. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see Nathan the prophet confronting David concerning his sin. And uh, yet we know there were consequences. Because of uh, David's sins, God's name would be blasphemed because of that relationship that David had. And the sword thus would never leave his house then. And he would be humiliated as his wives would go into the open uh, with others in contrast to what he did in secret. David fell, yet we see in Scripture that David repented. He repented. The Scripture says, you know, he who uh, confesses and forsakes will find compassion. David did that. In uh, Psalm 51, he says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted to thee. David repented and then he desired in his relationship with the Lord to teach other sinners the Lord's ways. And he did. And we're going to see that today. And that's really what our, our, our psalm is about today. Certainly David teaching us and helping us in the midst of his difficulties as we will see. It's a prayer. Notice it says, a prayer of David. This is a prayer. This is a prayer. So with this in mind, now there are some uh, people who say, hey, this is just a bunch of scriptures chopped up and thrown together because there's a lot of repetition from other songs, but that's not the case. God uh, used David inspired by the Spirit to take different places that he had shared already and bring them together in this context. Don't we do that? You know, when we're praying to the Lord, different scriptures come to mind and we, we, we repeat those in our minds as we pray. It's exactly what's going on here. David's a real guy with a real relationship with the Lord. And so if you've run into difficulties and in opposition, this is a great lesson for us. 
Let's take a look, Psalm 86. And it's a long psalm, and I'm, you know, we're not going to divide it up like we usually do, you know, every Sunday. It's long. We're going to, but I believe what we do, what we will see, we'll be able to get the point of what David, uh, inspired by the Spirit intends. Verse 1, a psalm of David. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Do preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O thou my God, save thy servant who trusts in thee. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I cry to thee, I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of thy servant, for to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For the Lord, thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I shall call upon thee, and for thou wilt answer me. There is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous deeds. Thou alone art God. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will give thanks to thee, O Lord, with my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forever. For thy loving kindness towards me is great, and thou hast delivered me, delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant thy strength to thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because thou, O Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. This is a great psalm that really helps us understand where our hearts should go when we are in distress, when we are oppressed, whatever it might be. Now, obviously, David here, as we see, is being persecuted. He is being uh, pursued. He has those who hate him. Now, we know if you come to Christ, there's going to be opposition. We know that right away. There are going to be those that hate us. You know, Jesus says in John 15, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Paul talks about the reality that indeed those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. We know that. Paul was opposed, Peter was opposed, and certainly our Lord Jesus was opposed and and brought to the point where he died on a cross for us. The reality is, if you're a believer, you're going to enter into a temporal time of conflict at times. Because the world hates Christ, whether they understand it or not. And we know that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood 
but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but yet the enemy comes in the, in the context of flesh and blood. So we're going to see today. It's flesh and blood that's chasing David around, that's hating him, but yet ultimately Satan is behind it. And so we don't battle based on our physical, the physical realities, but spiritually. You see, if you decide to follow Jesus Christ, there's a cost. There's a cost. Now, you can live your life and forget about him, and you'll lose everything once you die. But if you decide to follow him now to gain everything, then there is a temporal cost. And one element of that temporal cost is that you're going to have trouble, and that trouble might even be as close as your family. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 32, Everyone therefore shall confess... Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household." Now, we don't know who was pursuing David. We have ideas from other scriptures we see. We see who pursued him, but we know that even his own household pursued him. The reality is, if we come to Christ, we're going to be opposed. And the reality is, often it will come in the context of those who feign a trust in the Lord. You see, David's enemies, if you read the scriptures, they were those who would have basically claimed to follow the Lord of Israel. The Apostle Paul certainly understood this as he shared about the false apostles in 2 Corinthians 11. Timothy says, Paul tells Timothy that evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. 2 Timothy 3. Jude says that there was a need to contend earnestly for the faith, that's the word of God that we believe, delivered once for all, because certain men had crept in unnoticed. And Paul talked about the dangers among false brethren. Among false brethren. Hey, if you're serving Christ, you're going to realize this is true. And even in this church, you understand that. And you know that from what we've seen over, over the years. It's par for the course. The reality is there's going to be temporal difficulty. But there's joy in that if you trust the Lord. And there's eternal glory if you're His. But what do we do? We're real people with real feelings, with real hearts, with real uh, emotions. What do we do when difficulties come upon us, when we are opposed, uh, blindsided in a sense by that? Let's take a look at what David did because God has given this to us as an example for us to help us. Notice it's a prayer of David and prayer is simply communication with the living God. You know, before you came to know the Lord, or maybe you don't know him now, you may have prayed and thought you prayed and, and thought God heard you, whatever it might be. But the reality is, God doesn't listen. His ears are closed because of sin, because he's a holy God. Isaiah 59, uh, verse 1 says that sin has caused a separation between us and our God. Therefore, he doesn't hear. His ears not too dull that he can't hear, and his arms too short that he can't say, but sin's in the way. 
Yet when we realize we're sinful and turn to Christ for salvation and we believe in him, the sin is taken out of the way and we can now communicate with God and he hears us because he says he does. So David says here, incline thine ear, O Lord, and answer me. He's praying to the Lord. Old Testament, L-O-R-D in large caps, that speaks of the I am. It's the first uh, person of to be, Yahweh. It was transliterated Jehovah, but it's Yahweh. Incline your ear, O Lord, you're the divine. He's, he's speaking of God, your God. Answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Have you ever been afflicted and needy? Do preserve my soul, for I'm a godly man. Very interesting. O thou, my God, save thy servant who trusts in thee. David is being oppressed by his enemies. We see they're pursuing him, and he is coming before the Lord. And you can read through the scriptures and see all about all the enemies that David had. And he is crying out to God for this in this situation. We saw earlier when we read through the passage in verse 17, he says, Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. It's the hatred of mankind that is causing them to pursue him. We see that right now on TV every night, right? Wow, right in our face. So then he says, he cries out to the Lord, and he says, why? For I'm afflicted and needy. I'm afflicted and needy. The term afflicted means poor, uh, Literally, but it would speak of those who were afflicted because of their poverty. It came to mean that affliction. Came to mean that. He says, I'm afflicted and I'm in need. I'm in need, Lord. Have you ever been that point where you go to the Lord? I'm afflicted and I'm in need. Well, that's what's going on. And the first thing we need to do is start with just crying out to the Lord. That's what we need to do. When the difficulties come, and crying out to the Lord for others, like our president and others who are afflicted. One, that they'd be saved, but crying out for believers, for believers. He says here, do preserve, verse 2, my soul, for I'm a godly man, O thou my God, and save thy servant who trusts in thee. The soul speaks of his life. It's his entire being. It's who he is. His soul is in despair. And he says, save thy servant. Save thy servant. Do preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. He bases his prayer on the basis that he's a godly man. It's a very interesting thing. Is this prideful for David to say he's a godly man? He committed adultery and caused someone to be murdered? I thought he fell greatly. How could anyone say to God they're a godly man? Well, the reality is if you truly trust in Christ, when you believe in him, we have our sins forgiven. The price is paid for. It's redeemed. We, we, we have it paid for. And then we receive the righteousness of Christ in, a, in our place. In our, in the just for the unjust died for us. And we receive his righteousness. So we are righteous. But yet... If you're a true believer, that righteousness is going to manifest in your life. When you are confronted with your sin, you're going to confess like David did. And you're going to walk differently. And David walked righteously. 
He says, I'm a godly man. A genuine walk with the Lord. He really knows the Lord. He doesn't say I'm a perfect man, but I'm a godly man. Remember what uh, Paul said about him, repeating what the Lord said. He's a man after my own heart, the Lord said, who will do all my will. That's a good man. That's a godly man. A man after God's heart who will do his will. And so he says, do preserve my soul for I'm a godly man. O Lord, thou save thy servant who trusts in thee. You go, you're all I got. We're trusting in you. And you can understand this too as we look at different things going on. We go, Lord, you're all there is. I trust in you. I don't trust in mankind. I don't have my hope in politicians or whatever it might be. I trust in you. I trust in you. Save thy servant who trusts in thee. Godly men and women trust in the Lord. We saw that earlier in Jeremiah chapter 17. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, right? You're cursed. You're going to have a life that's a wasted wasteland of life and unto eternal death. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, right? And the Lord is his trust. David trusts in the Lord. So the reality is some of you may be crying out to the Lord and you've got to think about this. First of all, maybe there's sin that I haven't dealt with and that's why the Lord isn't answering in the situation. David has got his sin dealt with. He's going to talk about God's forgiveness. He says, I'm a godly man. He says, uh, save thy servant who trusts in thee. I serve you, Lord. So then, we have a godly man crying out to the Lord who trusts the Lord. Do you trust, trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Notice he also, in his trust and his crying out, seeks his gracious goodness. Be gracious to me, verse 3, O Lord, for I cry to thee all day long. All day long I'm crying out, Lord, I'm crying out, Lord. Make glad the soul of thy servant. For to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For thou art good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness for all who call upon thee. He cries out for God's favor upon him. Unmerited favor. That's a grace. You don't deserve it. Be gracious to me, O Lord. And notice the Lord is in small letters. L and small letters. That means Adonai. Master. My master. I'm your servant. Your servant. Be gracious to me because I'm crying out to you all day long. And then in his deep trouble, because of those who hate him and are pursuing him, he says, make glad the soul of thy servant. I'll tell you right now, you know, yes, we're to rejoice in the Lord always, but we can be distressed over things. Things are distressing. Things that are evil, that are going on. You know, woe to you who call good evil and evil good. We see that. The distressing evil of those who may be coming against you. That's distressing. It's distressing. Make glad the soul of thy servant. For to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. It's to you alone. It's you. You're the only hope. Make me glad. Help my heart. Help my heart. And notice he goes further, which is really good, because he says... For thou, Lord, art good. You're good. You're good. And ready to forgive. I love that. 
Every one of us knows people who are unforgiving and how wicked that is. You know people that have, you know, you may have done something and they don't forgive you. How wicked is that? It's not good. It's not good. But God's good. He's ready to forgive. And abundant in loving kindness for all who call upon thee. You've got to call upon him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let a man forsake his wicked thoughts and his deeds, right? And turn to the Lord. The Lord will have compassion. Romans chapter 10 says, the scripture says, For whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For thou, O Lord, you're good, you're good. You know, we need to, we see the bad, but we gotta talk about the good. And ready to forgive, ready, abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. That's his loyal love. When you see that term loving kindnesses, it's sometimes translated compassions. It speaks of his loyal love. His faithful covenant love. You see, he made a deal with Abraham that in his seed all the nations would be blessed. A one-way deal, a covenant. And it is through Christ that he brought that forth. And according to his loyal love, which would come forth through David's seed and Abraham and then David's seed, Jesus Christ, through that we have forgiveness of sins. When I think of loving kindness, I always think of this one passage in, in Joel chapter 2. Turn to Joel chapter 2. Hosea, Joel, Amos. And I'll read it for you. Read it for you. This is in the context of judgment coming. God's saying, this is what I'm going to do. But then notice, whenever he says, this is what I'm going to do, there's always that offer right there. No one will have an excuse, by the way. Because God is good and he's ready to forgive to all who call upon him. It's just people are unwilling to call upon him and therefore you're on your own way. You're on your own. Joel chapter 2, verse 10. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read this part. Before them, the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. Then the Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely the camp is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord is indeed great, very awesome. Who can endure it? That's the day of his judgment, the day of the Lord. Wow. But notice what he says. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with, your, with all your heart, and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart, not your garments. Don't do some stuff. Give your heart over. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, relenting of evil. God says the wages of sin is death. And he says very clearly that you'll be thrown into fiery hell if you reject Christ. But he will relent of that, if you trust in his son who took the punishment in our place. For thou, O Lord, art good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness for all who call upon thee. Don't forget to remind God about who he is. And that's, it doesn't remind him, you know, but just to remember for yourself as you pray, Lord, you're a gracious God who, who, who forgave me, who saved me by your son. You're so good. Help me. You're a good God. And notice, he keeps continuing his petition. Verse 6, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplications. It's emphatic. O Lord, 
the I am, listen. And notice his confidence. Verse 7. Now he's been crying out all day long, so evidently he hasn't really had an answer all day long, but notice his confidence. It's been going on for a while. We think, oh, Lord, you're not answering. The Lord will answer, and he knows that. Look at what he says in verse 7. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. It's a done deal. You're going to do it. You're going to take care of me. It's confidence. We know this from 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence we have before God. Confidence, by the way, that's what he says. If we ask anything according to his will, David's a man after his own will, by the way, uh, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the requests with what we have asked from him. No presumption, but we know he's heard us. And this requests are before him. And if they're according to his will, he's going to answer according to his will in his time. David's confident. He knows in the day of trouble. When he calls, the Lord will answer. So how do we respond when we're facing opposition? We've got to cry out to the Lord and do it in the context of remembering who he is and what he's done. And that really continues. He's going to continue to say, look at Lord, there's no one like thee. Look at verse, uh, verse 9. Or verse 8, my eyes get worse here. Verse 8, there is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. There's no person such as you, and there's no one who's done anything like you. Person to work. There is no one among the gods. And later on he's going to say, you're the only God. <laughs> but among, you know, there's all the false gods out there. The ones we make in our hearts or, or people make with their hands. There's no one like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. There's no one like him. He's a self-existent living God, and he's gracious, kind, forgiving, and abundant in loving kindness. And he does save. His works are great and wondrous. Verse 10, for thou art great. How many times have you said that to the Lord? From a true heart, you're great. You're a great God. You are great and doest wondrous deeds. You're great and you do wonderful things. You're great and you do wonderful things. Thou art, thou alone art God. It's you alone. There's no other God but the Lord. All the gods of, all the gods of men are idols. There's one God revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and David knows the true God and trusts in Him and declares He is great and does wondrous deeds. Now, it's interesting, in the midst of his trouble, he's praising him for what he's done. And then he says something that's quite interesting, which should be uh, encouraging for us, but also a conviction at times. Notice his petition in verse 11. He says here, teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Teach me thy way. That's an interesting statement to come forth in the midst of a prayer for deliverance from bad guys. Teach me thy way. Lord, I want to know your way. Teach me. I want to walk in your truth, Lord God. Brothers and sisters, we need to humble ourselves in the midst of our troubles, and at time we need to ask the Lord to teach us his ways. Help me walk in your ways. You know, when things are bad, we tend to respond in ways that aren't God's ways, by the way. 
teach me your ways. We're very vulnerable when we're being attacked or bad things are happening that aren't really from us at times. We're vulnerable in how we respond as we are all the time. We need to humble ourselves in the midst of our troubles and do this all the time. Teach me your ways. And his ways are from his word. Look back at Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Verses 4 and 5. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. Teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day. Teach me your ways. Teach me from your word, Lord God, your ways. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. So often we just live our lives our way. And we, we may trust the Lord here and there, but we live our lives our way. We never say, Lord God, teach me your way. Teach me. And lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and such as breathe out violence. We understand that, don't we? Well, I do. Psalm 119.68 Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. You're good. Teach me. Never think you got there and you know it all. Ask the Lord to teach you that you would walk in his ways. You would respond rightly. Respond rightly. Psalm 143, verse 8. Let me hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in thee. Teach me the way which I should walk, for to thee I lift up my soul. This is Psalm 148 in verse 9 now. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in thee. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Let thy good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of thy name, O Lord, revive me in thy righteousness and bring my soul out of trouble. You know, trouble's no fun, but as we look at the trouble God lets us go through, it sure does make us depend on the Lord. When there's no trouble, we kind of just cruise along, maybe not depending as much. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. And I will walk in thy truth. O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. Then notice verse 12, back in our passage in Psalm 86. I will give thanks to thee. Thank you, Lord. Give thanks to thee. O Lord, my God, with all my heart, just pour my heart out. Thank you, Lord. And will glorify thy name forever. Teach me and I'll give thanks to you and glorify your name. David's a great guy in the Lord. He is a godly man. This is what a godly man looks like. He's a man of flesh and blood like us, with a sin nature like us, but he had a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so do we. And then notice what he says, Unite my heart to fear thy name. Unite my heart. The term unite. Bring bring my heart from being divided to a a solid uh, focus. Unite my heart to fear thy name. You go, fear thy name? What do you mean, be afraid? No. Yes, you can think of fear as being afraid, but fear of God is not being afraid. Fear of God is seeing him rightly and reverencing him rightly 
acknowledging his superiority over us and recognizing his deity and our we're his creation and thus responding in awe, humility, worship, love, and obedience. David's praying that his heart would be bound together, that he would fear. Proverbs is replete with passages about the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. It's the same point in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1.17. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In Psalm 130, the psalmist says, But there's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. You see, before you're forgiven, you don't fear God at all. You don't fear the retribution of God for your sinfulness. You just go your own way unto, unto, your, dis, unto your, your destruction. You don't fear his holiness and his righteousness. You don't fear him that he sent his son to pay all the penalty in your place. You don't care. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's a right fear of him. But yet we need to walk in that on a daily basis. Unite my heart. Pull my heart together. To fear you, to fear your name. And he says, I will give thanks to thee, verse 12, O Lord God, with all my heart and glorify thy name forever. Teach me. I want to learn your ways. Unite my heart to fear. I'll give thanks. Lord my God, O Lord my God, with all my heart and glorify thy name forever. You see, because of God's Great loving kindness, having saved us, he's thankful. Notice he says this, he explains in verse 13, for, that's an explanation, you see a verse starts with four, it's explaining something, don't stand by itself. For thy loving kindness towards me is great, and thou hast delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. I'm going to give thanks, I'm going to glorify your name, because your loving kindness is great. That means he realized he was a great sinner. You know, when you've realized how sinful you really are, you realize how much Christ has forgiven you. Your loving kindness is great. You see, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10, is, is, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the satisfaction for our sins. Take a look at Psalm 103. It talks all about his loving kindness. Psalm 103. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me read starting in verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. People say, why does God let so much evil go on? Why does that happen? Well, God's gracious. and He's slow to anger. You could wipe everyone out in their evil and they wouldn't have a chance to trust in Christ. He's patient, not willing for any to perish. And he even turns the evil while he's waiting into good. We see that in the cross, the most evil ever done, used for good. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. How, that's wonderful nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness. That's his saving love, covenant love, towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 
for he knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindnesses, kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. So back in our passage, he says, your loving kindness, your loving, for your loving kindness, I'm going to thank you and praise you and, and glorify you for your loving kindness is great towards me. It's personal. And thou hast delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Now, he may be talking about physical deliverance, you know, because David was delivered many times, but I think it goes way beyond that because he talks about his saving loving kindness, which is associated with earlier. He said, you're good and ready to forgive. You've saved me, Lord God. This should cause us to give thanks, to give thanks. I mentioned this uh, earlier, and this is part of the psalm I read earlier and what we sang, a song about it. Psalm 57, verse 9, I'll give thanks to thee among the peoples. I'll sing praises to thee among the nations. For thy loving kindness is great to the heavens, and thy truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, and O God, and let thy glory be above the earth. The reality is it should cause us to be thankful for what he has done for us. So we can learn much from this prayer, learn much from it. Notice he says here, well, he's, he's cried out to the Lord. Uh, he's acknowledged that he trusts him. He's declared truth about God and his for forgiveness and goodness, including his uh, sovereignty over every situation, his power being God and being above all, he's, he's praised him and thanked him and petitioned him to teach him his ways, uh, that he might walk in them and fear him, have his heart united, just give thanks and glorify God because of his loving kindness. And now he gets to the point. Often we kind of get to the point right away with the Lord, and the Lord's gracious. We just say, Lord, this is happening now, help. And that's okay. But we can learn here to direct our hearts to renew our minds as we pray. Now he gets to it. Verse 14, here's the problem. Oh God, arrogant men, that's prideful men, have risen up against me. He was the king of Israel. And a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set thee before them. They don't trust in you, Lord. They may say, Lord, Lord, and this and that. Remember, those who uh, went after David would claim the name of the Lord in Israel, by the way. It's usually where persecution comes from, people who are self-righteous but yet uh, claim to follow the Lord. The prideful arrogant have risen up against me. They've just popped right up and they've come against me. They're personal enemies. And a band of evil men have sought my life. They've not set thee before them. Paul would say in the New Testament, as I mentioned before, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. If you go back in that chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it starts out, it says, you know, in the, in, in, the, in the end times, men will be lovers of money, lovers of self, blah, blah, blah. It goes through a whole bunch of horrible things. And at the very end, it says, holding forth to a form of godliness. They're fakers. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. See, the arrogance of those people who act so sanctimonious about their self-righteousness and their ways when they're saying, ultimately, evil is good and good is evil. 
They're prideful. They're arrogant. So David cries out, hey, this is what's going on, Lord. And notice what he says in contrast to what they're doing to him. Look at verse 15. But thou, in contrast to these people that have risen up against me, who don't, don't put your name before them, O Lord, thou art a God merciful and gracious. Who do you know that's merciful and gracious? The Lord's merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. That's what you are, Lord. These guys are this and they're after me, but this is who you are. That's worship to declare the truth about the Lord himself. You want to worship the Lord, start declaring truth to him about him and praise him for it. So what does he say? Turn to me and be gracious to me. Turn and be gracious. Oh, grant thy strength to thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Turn to me, be gracious, give me strength. And the Lord is gracious. It's his petition. Be merciful and gracious. But thou, O Lord, art merciful and gracious. Notice this verse uh, 15. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And this would remind anybody of Exodus when Moses said, prayed, Lord, show me thy glory. And God shared and showed his glory and said, I'll have all my goodness pass by you. And when he passed by, he said this very thing, that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's God's glory. David is repeating that. He says, you're who you are, and this is what you said about yourself. God is a God who forgives, slow to anger and overflowing in loving kindness and truth. And this is the God we go to with our petitions. So his petition, turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant thy strength to thy servant and save the son of thy handmaid. Turn to me, be gracious, give me strength. And save the son of thy handmaid. Merciful, gracious, truthful, give me strength. Pour your grace out on me and save me. Now he says, the son of thy handmaid, you say, the son of a concubine, what does that mean? Well, he's just uh, saying basically, I'm your servant, Lord. We know that David's father was Jesse. He wasn't born from a concubine. When he's saying this in a way, he's humbling himself. Hey, I'm just your servant. That's a way to say it in that language at that time. I'm just your servant. My master, I'm your servant. Give me strength. I'm suffering as I serve you. You're a good and gracious God. Be gracious to me. Well, are your prayers like that? Now, I'm not telling you to go out and formulate rote prayers based on a psalm. This is from the heart. But you fill your heart with his word and it will come out in your prayers like David. Now, some say David is, is testing God here in this next portion. Notice what he says in verse 17, but I don't believe that's true. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because thou, O Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. Some say David's testing God. God, now you need to do this. Uh, I'm you know, putting on a fleece or whatever it might be. Show me a sign for good. But remember here in the context, he's already said he's been crying out for help the entire time and he desires God to be glorified forever. 
He's not testing God. He's uh, wanting God to be seen ultimately by those who hate him in this context. And that he would see a sign for good, that those who hate him may be ashamed. Ashamed of their actions. Ashamed of what they're doing to him. Because thou, O Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. He's the king of Israel. He's God's man, a man after God's own heart. And he says, show a sign for good, Lord God, that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. He doesn't say, blast them to bits, Lord God. He says, show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because thou, O Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. You've helped me. You have helped me and comforted me. Show a sign for good that they may see it and be ashamed of their actions, that they may see it. It's exactly what we need to do when we're in trouble. God's good, and he's, he, he, and we need to ask for his good, gracious comfort and help, that those who are oppressing us would see God as helping us and be ashamed. Be ashamed. You know, when you're serving the Lord and you suffer, God's on your side. God was on David's side, not on the side of those other people, okay? That were. When you're suffering, this is the right prayer. It's a prayer based on the character of God in the context that God would ultimately be glorified, that those who were opposing his servants would be ashamed. Ashamed. What does he pray, pray back in Psalm 25 again? Look at Psalm 25. Psalm 25, verse 1, a psalm of David. To thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? O my God, I trust in thee. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for thee will be ashamed. Hey, we won't be ashamed. But he says uh, here, those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. That's going to happen. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day long. Do you pray like this? And again, not saying repeat exactly David's words bit for bit, but learn from it. Does God, the truth about God, come forth in your prayers in the midst of your difficulties? What are we to do when we face opposition? How are we to respond? Because you're going to if you're a believer. And it's not easy. It's distressing. But it's temporal. It's temporal. So often we want to fight back or emotionally respond. We hide or flee or get angry, whatever it might be. Yet, how did David respond? We could learn much. He cried out to the Lord in the context of God's goodness and forgiveness, trusting him and knowing that he will answer according to his will. He's declared truth about the Lord being sovereign over all, including his situation, and praised him for that, for who he is. He has petitioned the Lord, requesting deliverance to teach him his ways, that he would walk in them and fear him, and he's given thanks to glorify his name because of his great loving kindness. And then he petitions for the specific deliverance, that those who oppose him, the Lord, by opposing his servants, would be ashamed. 
O Lord, you're a gracious, merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. You're God over everything. You're good. Teach me your ways that I might walk in them, your truth, uh, that I bind my heart to fear you. Show me a sign for good that those who hate you and thus me will be ashamed because you have comforted and helped me. Are your prayers like this when you enter into trouble? If you're a brother or sister, this is how we should pray for others who are entering into it. You might, well, you'll enter into it. This is how we should pray for one another. This is how we should pray for ourselves. We should allow God's word to permeate our thoughts as we pray to the Lord. And we need to be in it. Well, today we've seen a wonderful example of how to pray, especially when we encounter difficulties. Now, there's some of you here today uh, who do not know the Lord. But I declare to you today that he's a good God and a gracious God. He has declared that all men everywhere must repent because he's fixed a day in which he'll judge the world through the man, Jesus Christ, having furnished proof by raising him from the dead. He's declared that. You must repent. You must change your mind about yourself and your sin and then turn from your sin to God to deliver you from it. God's a gracious God and willing to forgive. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord God, Lord God, I'm sinful. I've sinned. And uh, I believe your son is God in flesh and that he died for my sins and rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, save me. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you will gain eternal life. And afterwards, there'll be temporary difficulty. There's a cost to it, but there's eternal glory and eternal, uh, eternal life versus destruction. God is a good God who forgives. He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and overflowing in loving kindness and truth. And this is the God we go to with our petitions. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is so wonderful to hear. And I just pray that your people today would have been encouraged and that we will be encouraged, that we'd be encouraged to see you through your truth and and to praise you for who you are and what you've done. I pray for those who don't know you, that they would be convicted of sin and they would turn and confess and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of sins. Lord, I thank you for uh, your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and your grace. And Lord, we ask you to teach us your ways and guide us in this life as we live temporarily on our way to glory. pray this in Jesus' name.